0: Welcome to the Create Something Awesome Today podcast, where it's all about educating and motivating creative pros and entrepreneurs from around the world with simple and easy to implement ideas. And of course, helping you create something awesome today. And now, welcome your host. He is the founder of Founder of Awesome Creator Academy, a YouTube educator, and the biggest Star Wars nerd you'll ever meet, Roberto Blake. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Create Something Awesome Today podcast. This is your host, Roberto Blake, helping you create something awesome today. Uh, Sorry about that. Cued up the intro twice there. Uh, (laughs) So this is what is uh, known as the midnight run. This is another late night edition of the podcast. Today we're going to be talking about uh, creator mental health. Uh, This is a super important topic, and this also... Uh, kind of segues into why I took a week off from the podcast. The podcast is usually a Monday to Friday podcast as of um, December of 2021, and it's now December, uh, sorry, January of 2022 when I'm recording this. And so uh, the thing is, I needed to take a week off for my own mental health. Now that didn't have to do with like burnout specifically or performance anxiety uh, pressure or um, insecurity or any of that in particular although we'll we'll talk about those things we'll definitely talk about those things. Um, this had to do with the fact that for me um, I was going through an emotional time because unfortunately um, my dog tugboat uh, passed away and uh, it was really sad. Uh, he was having a surgery that was supposed to, uh, make him better. He had a, a tumor that was, um, you know, pretty big and was affecting him. Um, thank you to everybody for the condolences. Uh, I've been getting those for the last couple of days. It's definitely appreciated, but uh, you know, don't feel obligated or anything like that. And it's like I, I mostly just kind of want to get this part out of the way because it is it is really sad and it actually does make me uh, feel bad even talking about it. But I did want to put it out there and I did want to share that it's like when you have something like that happen it throws you off and it's very difficult to keep up with your routine. It's difficult to push on. If you have a regular nine to five job, you, you just have to get over it and you just have to go back to work and almost pretend like it's not affecting you and just do your job and get it done. And that's not really a good fit. And when you're a content creator, even though you're your own boss, you know, you have this tremendous opportunity, <clears throat> you have control of your schedule and all those things. It's still not, nece- isn't necessarily the best thing for you to just, You know, take off like that. So, I mean, there's not this great, uh, you know, wonderful answer for what to do in uh, these circumstances and how you're supposed to handle it. And don't let people tell you how you're supposed to handle it because, I mean, they don't, they basically don't get to decide that. But whatever you need to do for your mental health is, is basically what you need to do in that situation. So, um, you know, thinking about that and just kind of reflecting on it, for me, I just needed some space. I still had work that I had to do. I still had to do all my coaching client stuff. Uh, I still uh, did some work in the background, but I just, I didn't feel like I could do the podcast and do the live stream justice and just kind of like, you know, pretend I wasn't sad and what what we what the reason I wanted to bring up that for like tonight's topic and talk about creator mental health is because um, content creators feel like whenever they aren't doing what they think they're supposed to, that they're letting their audience down, and that they also have the fear and anxiety of the uh, algorithms of their various platforms, whether that's YouTube, uh, Twitch. You know, um, TikTok, whatever, that if you take this massive break, okay, what happens when I take this break? Is my audience going to be there? And even if my audience wants to be there, will I get pushed out of like one of these social media algorithms? Now, when I was um, dealing with all the physical requirements of doing my move into my new house, uh, I had to take like about a roughly 50, 60 day break from YouTube uploads on my main channel with over 500,000 subscribers. And uh, I could definitely see the impact to my channel. Now, thankfully, my channel's recovering with me posting again, and it's great. It's actually really good, and it's good to see the content doing so strongly, even after taking a long break like that. But there is the anxiety and fear that it won't do well or what happens to you if you take this break, but you end up just having to... The only answer in these situations, unfortunately, is getting back on the horse. Is getting back on the horse and uh showing up doing the work and putting out your content and unfortunately it's unfortunate that that is exactly what just what it's going to take but it's also it's a good thing and a bad thing it has its up and and its downs on that but a lot of the anxiety that um creators feel about um about just this entire career and its stability or you know what might feel to some people like it's a lack of stability largely comes down to just not knowing how to navigate things like needing your space needing a break not being able to share certain things and it does create this overall anxiety and fearfulness of what's going to happen to the uh future so so i mean it's a real thing And I just kind of wanted to like put at least that part of it out there because I know that there's a lot of you, whether you're larger or smaller content creators, that you go through this all the time. The And, and, the, and that's not not even including, okay, that's the taking a break side of it. There's a lot that we could unpack here, right? Uh, I want to acknowledge a super chat that came in during the live here from my good friend, Andrew Ken, formerly of TubeBuddy, currently of Salesforce. What's up, Andrew? Uh, true words around mental health. No, Absolutely. So, so let's talk about um, a different aspect of this. The anxiety thing, we all know that there's anxiety around the viability and stability. It's not just financially, but also in terms of, okay, will the audience still be there or am I letting people down or how will the platform treat me if I do this or do that or don't do this or don't do that? So there's that, um, that part of it, right? Um, And yes, Andrew, you currently work at Salesforce, but you speak for yourself. Yes. No, that's absolutely true. See, that's like, that's also another thing. Balance, right? The balance. So for a lot of content creators, this is a side hustle. It's not their full-time gig. Most content creators, it's not their full-time gig, right? It's a side hustle. So there's added pressure in terms of balancing your nine to five career or your job and your content creator career and persona. And Also, there's some fearfulness of what if those two things aren't compatible? What if um, those things come into conflict? If you're young, you might be like, well, what if my friends and my family and like people at my school find out that I'm a content creator and I'm on YouTube or TikTok? What if they find my YouTube? What if they find my TikToks? What if they find my Twitch stream? And so then you're worried about being judged. You're possibly worried about being bullied. And people are bullied for this, you know? One of the biggest content creators, Mr. Beast, everyone used to actually pick on him when he was trying to do YouTube when he was uh, a kid. Everyone was trying to actually pick on him for doing YouTube, and all he wanted to talk about was YouTube. He was obsessed with YouTube, and he was kind of, like, slightly bullied for it. Or at least he was criticized. And that's, like, not by people on the internet as much as, like, by, like, peers and other students and other kids and stuff like that and people around him and, like, stuff you know, so <clears throat> there's that aspect of it is, you know, for a lot of people, um, this career is still not legitimate to people, no matter how many uh, people are becoming millionaires, becoming content creators. No matter how many people are leaving their nine to five job and making fifty five thousand dollars a year, doing something they love doing, you know, like uh, making fifty five thousand dollars a year, opening Pokemon cards, making fifty five thousand dollars a year, you um, You know, talking about sports on the internet, like this is things that real, like making fifty-five thousand dollars a year, playing their favorite video game, you know, playing Minecraft or Roblox or something. People still do not take this seriously. Um, you could be making a quarter million dollars a year. I know this personally. You you can you can make a quarter million dollars a year as a full-time content creator, and people still disrespect you. So this creates feelings of imposter syndrome, feeling unsatisfied, um, feeling a sense of unworthiness and also feeling some resentment toward people because they're not respecting something that you're putting so much of yourself into. Artists have always experienced this, whether they're musicians, writers, every person who's ever participated in earlier versions of the creator economy has experienced this, right? So musicians have experienced this, performers, dancers, Writers, poets, um, fil- uh, aspiring filmmakers—all, all of it. So <clears throat> there's, there's that aspect of it. Andrew says, uh, personal life and professional YouTube life is a huge balancing act when it comes to YouTube. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, JB Gunner says, to me, I treat YouTube like I treat. Uh, commission sales jobs yes it's pressure but my own quote-unquote toxic masculinity they call it stops me from having the mental issues all jobs generate stress there's there's a little bit of truth to the idea that all jobs generate stress but not all jobs generate stress equally with youtube there's not a guarantee of a reward or paycheck or salary or wages in exchange for um the work that you're doing, the time that you're putting in, the energy that you're putting in. So that's a job that's radically different, right? Because financially, there's a lot of times initially for the first year to two years to three years, YouTube is working for free. or at a loss putting money in and not getting anything out. So financially, YouTube is stressful because it's a financial sinkhole if it doesn't work out. If YouTube doesn't work out, it doesn't work out for over 90% of people, by the way, then it's a financial loss that you're having to justify. And most people starting out and doing it are not exactly living a lifestyle that justifies taking a financial loss. So there's that aspect of it for one thing. The other aspect of it is almost no other job makes you vulnerable to the criticism of hundreds to thousands of people each and every single week, sometimes thousands of uh, of them a month, you know, and so that's a, a massive thing. There's also the anxiety created by cancel culture that most people don't experience, even though more and more people are experiencing it, of literally massive mobs of people hating you for a microcosm of your existence that they were offended by. So there's that aspect of it. Yeah. So, so there's that. Uh, JB is saying you're right about the outside world's opinion of this career. Make 150k a year off YouTube, but just tell people I'm an entertainer. But I agree with you completely. Yeah, no, it's facts, facts. Uh, People still do not respect this space. It's still something that we're like struggling with right now. Andrew says, I have uh, the issue of, even though I can show I've earned a decent income from YouTube, 35K last year, congrats on that, hopefully more this year, that most banks don't count it and want a traditional W-2. So with that, Andrew, um, one of the things that I was able to do was by doing my bookkeeping and uh, I use a bench for my bookkeeping and accounting. I've linked to them in the show notes of the podcast and in the description of the YouTube video. So even in this live stream, you can get the resources that I'm talking about here. They're listed in the description and in the show notes. The thing that um, I do is like by having a bookkeeping service, I find that that's actually helped me. That's actually I was able to get into this house. I was able to get into my house as a full time YouTube content creator because I had bookkeeping in place and I had like more than three years of net profits, loss, income statements in terms of that. Um, And I had my tax filings. And my YouTube stuff is incorporated under my um, LLC, under my um, you know actual company, and I keep all of it in a business uh, bank account. Um, you know, and I've had my LLC. That's the other thing. Getting your LLC as soon as possible is very important because they'll say things like Andrew saying, like they'll say your LLC is too young for us to consider it. So like having that... For a number of years, a number of years is really important. So um, I might do a dedicated podcast. I'll probably bring on a guest for this to do a dedicated podcast. If I ever do decide to do a podcast specifically around the nature of cancel culture, because I think it's actually a very important topic. I also think that it's um, I think that it's like I actually think that cancel culture serves no positive purpose to be very real with you. I know that people try to justify it and they try to call it accountability culture. It's not even close to the same thing. And uh, they, 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 no one who supports cancel culture can explain to me if it's consequence culture or accountability culture. The question that I would have and that I would level is, what do we do with you if you go after someone, cancel somebody, publicly harass somebody on the internet, and you're wrong? You're wrong. What do we do with you if you got it wrong? Or it was misinformation that led to you participating in this, and how do we hold you accountable for the ugliness, the harassment, the things you said, the things you did, and are we then allowed to cancel you, and what's the consequences for you? What are, are, how are you going to be judged? And then people say, well, it's not about the act. It's about the power dynamics. It's like, then don't pretend that we have standards, and don't pretend that you want equality Because you would judge people then on their actions and on their character, not on whether you decide what's appropriate based on their power dynamic, based on their follower count or their bank account. If you're going to move the goalpost of ethics and morality based and predicated on somebody's follower account or what's in someone's bank account instead of the action itself, then you don't have a moral argument because you don't have any values. If you're moving the goalpost based on what somebody does or doesn't have or your perception of their power level versus – their character and the actions that they took and the material harm that it causes. If you're going to judge people on the material hard that they cause the, and their character, the content of their character, you ain't got no business judging them at all, frankly, and you should keep it moving. And then on top of that, in my opinion, what do we do with you? You're off the hook for your wrongdoings because you don't have power. That's nonsense. That's stupid. In my opinion. In my opinion, I think it's nothing more than the good old fashioned Salem witch hunts. I think it's nothing more than what you used to have with public um, hate mobs and actual quote like actual like historical um, lynchings, because I mean, to be real, there was no need for evidence and everything like that. You can talk to people about Tulsa, (laughs) you know, you can talk to people about what happens when angry, resentful people. Decide that they want to destroy others, uh, you know. And even with that, you can look into the history of that. That was about power dynamics too, and haves and have-nots too. You can't rationalize it. Uh, it's just bad behavior, and bad behavior can't be um, excused by disenfranchisement, or you can't use your strong sense of justice to um, to rationalize your cruelty to another human being. You can't use your sense of justice as a rationalization for your cruelty toward another human being. That's called vigilantism. And as someone who's been a physical victim of um, mistaken identity, racial profiling and vigilantism in the the real world, been a physical victim of that. um, I can't abide it in the digital world either. So, you know, that's how I personally feel about it. But again, it's a topic for another day. It's a topic for another day. Like, I mean, you can't trust the court of public – like, you can't trust the court system sometimes to be fair and just and to get things right and to appropriately carry out um, proportionality when it comes to consequences We have criminal justice problems in this country right now, as a lot of people will be happy to tell you. These same people, however, seem to think that they and the court of public opinion can get it right when we're literally fighting the courts on whether or not they're carrying out justice. That seems absurd. And and the thing is, it shouldn't be the place of random anonymous people on the Internet. And that creates this massive anxiety in the current culture that we have because people are afraid that their entire livelihood is forfeit if they do the wrong thing. And again, I said that. This is like a topic for another night. I just bring it up because I am passionate about the idea of... Um, I just see bullying as bullying. And I also think we should be massively skeptical of people who um, try to convince you and virtue signal when you know yourself that you there's a limited ability to hold our actual judicial and legal system accountable for miscarriages of justice and corruption. But we're going to allow... Anonymous strangers and internet et- detectives to hold people accountable. That is an absurd, ridiculous, and dangerous notion. And I can't believe that there are intellectuals or people who would like to believe they're intellectuals who will even entertain the idea that that is anything but a disaster waiting to happen just because it managed to work on a few people they don't like. I might be petty, but I ain't that level of petty. <laughs> Uh, Tosh, point fro, coming in for the kill, hitting the nail on the head. Cancel culture just gives people that hit of adrenaline then need not to focus on their own problems. Yeah, nope, I I agree with that take. That's a spicy take, and I agree. That's a a spicy take, like, and I agree. And then in terms of, like, if you ever wonder, like, does um, any of that work? And, like, oh, how do some people still have an audience? Because here's the truth. Just because you don't like somebody or you don't think that they're a good person, or even if they like did something wrong, the reality is this, when it comes to entertainment specifically, the exchange of value with their audience was their audience wasn't affected. Their audience wasn't harmed and they want the entertainment that they want. And they don't care. There are plenty of people who've committed actual crimes, gone to jail and still had careers after it. So don't be surprised that there are people in social media who still have an audience having a fan base, because the thing is, why wouldn't they still have a fan base? Nothing happened to the viewer. The viewer is getting free content, living vicariously for somebody, getting what they want in terms of their parasocial relationship. And you know what? You don't have to agree with them or consume that because it wasn't for you, and it's not for you. The And the people who want to like those things, they still get to like what they like. And you can judge them if you want, but it's not going to really help you do anything. It's not going to accomplish anything to judge people that decide to be part of a community that you aren't going to be a part of anymore and that you can't be a part of anymore. What's what's the point of that? I mean, it's kind of like what I think about the whole NFT situation, right? You have um, people who hate, hate, and I mean vitriolically hate NFTs, like with a raging passion, like even to the point of harassing people, if they even... Um, you know, entertain the idea of getting involved with NFTs or mentioning entertains. I like people have been bullied, harassed, doxxed over literally just saying, yeah, I think NFTs are cool or interesting. And I'm not talking about limiting it to um, just like clowning them on the internet. I'm talking about straight up. I was talking to a creator just this evening who was telling a story in a Twitter space about um, somebody they were going to work with that then had to back out because their kid was being harassed because they publicly decided to support NFTs. Can you imagine believing, can you imagine believing that we have a culture of accountability when people's answer to it is you're doing a thing I don't like, I'm going to stalk and harass your family members about you taking a position or a stance supporting a thing, or doing a thing on the internet that doesn't affect me in any way if I opt out. And I'm going to justify harassing and stalking your family members, your kid, your sister, your wife, whatever. That is dumb. I'm not going to pretend to be neutral or hmm, play both sides or be nuanced. It's like, no, that's dumb and it's wrong and it's like sick. It's dumb and it's wrong and it's sick. How about that? How about that for a spicy take how about that for a spicy take and that's just like that's nfts that's not even a like cancel culture for you actually offending people or doing something wrong it's just literally participating in something they don't like you might as well literally bully people for liking pokemon magic the gathering or comic books like in the old days because that's all it is it's bullying you know and when you think about all the reasons that creators have you know, a lot of mental health issues, let's compound it. Are there any careers that you go into that immediately make you have anxiety and are subjected to the idea of being harassed and bullied constantly um, for, for like no good reason? And the answer is there's not many jobs or careers that subject you to the fear of hundreds or possibly thousands of people a day or a week or a month bullying and harassing you. So that creates massive anxiety for creators right there, and then when it happens, you feel like crap, and you feel all these feelings of unworthiness. Um, and then, in general, the platforms and the payment mechanisms of the platforms lead to financial insecurity um, and rampant anxiety around that nervousness, performance anxiety. Um, so those are those are all things that are in this career that are not in most other careers. There's a few exceptions, obviously. Um, another thing that happens is, okay, those are like a certain level of problems. What about the problems if you succeed as a creator? Let's talk about that. No one ever talks about, well, what's the other shoe to drop if you happen to be successful beyond your wildest dreams? And so I can speak to experience on this. You know, a lot of people like to say that those of us who are successful like think everybody can lift themselves up by their bootstraps and that we have survivorship bias. Now, I don't really fully believe that narrative. I understand where some of it's coming from, but as somebody who literally is like disadvantaged in nine ways out of the 12 ways, you probably can be really disadvantaged in America. If you're born in America, there's probably about a good 12, 15 ways you could be disadvantaged. I could probably check boxes on nine or ten of them, to be honest with you. Uh, I think that's kind of Fairly obvious given my background, single parent household, child of divorce, oldest of four children, black and Latino, first generation American, foreign name, um, ADHD, uh, no four-year college degree, you know, black man in America. Need I go on about all the ways that I could go into specifically how I was disadvantaged? Because it's probably like nine or 10 out of the 12 or 15 criteria you could come up with. Okay. And I'm successful. Now, a lot of people will say, well, you got lucky, or you're just fortunate, or you have survivorship bias if you think everybody can replicate that. I'm like, well, the reality is that most people don't have the struggle that I had. They might have their own struggles, and I don't diminish or take away from that. But I have a, a number of compounded struggles that kind of seem to overlap, and if you listen to a lot of the rhetoric that's in the world, a lot of it, frankly, being you know racist rhetoric, you would look at someone with my background and say, well, what's the future for that child? And the answer would be, well, that child has no future, or it's really horrible, or that child's future is really bleak, and here's all the statistical proof of how bleak that person's future is. And it's not that I'm like an exception that proves the rule. It's what did I do differently? And what I try to encourage people to do is I'm not saying that you can have the exact same outcomes as me. I'm saying that if you do things that I did differently than other people that alters my fate, it's really unlikely that you'll be that statistic that everybody thinks you're going to be. And that keeps proving to be true over and over because the thing is I wish people would listen to outliers that come from disadvantaged backgrounds because the here's the truth. We know something that other people don't know. We lived something that other people don't live. And we are trying to get you to live and know that same thing because you don't know what you don't know. And we out here trying to tell you We out here trying to tell you. Um, And it's and, and it's important because if somebody with massive disadvantages can accomplish something, then someone without those disadvantages has every reason to believe that they can accomplish something. It's not an unreasonable thing that we're putting on them. It's not an unreasonable thing that a success that comes from if somebody is literally that rose that grows from concrete. They are not putting the whole bootstraps narrative on you, and it's not survivorship bias, and it's not ignoring your situation and circumstances. So when people massively more disadvantaged than you succeed, it's worth pursuing and looking at how they did it. It is worth looking at how people, if they succeeded, despite having more disadvantages than you then maybe you listen to those people because just because they're successful now is not them speaking from an arbitrary position of privilege. They're speaking from a lived experience around what it takes to overcome similar or higher levels of difficulty than you might be facing right now. And that's what needs to be understood about that kind of thing. And so, like, when people overcome adversity, I think that they should be heard and believed and taken at their word on the fact that people with much less adversity probably could be doing more or doing something that can have really beneficial results or outcomes for them. Because, again, they're not speaking out of turn. They're not speaking out of turn when it comes to that. And so um, one of those things that, um, like, affects me on this issue is, and the reason I bring it up is because I don't think we're speaking from survivorship bias. I think of anything, and I'm speaking partly for myself here, we speak from survivor's guilt, and we suffer with survivor's guilt. When you know that you made it and that, yes, you're fortunate, but you're not lucky, when you know that you're fortunate – and it's not that you're lucky, it's not random, it wasn't chance, it wasn't a coincidence, it was a consequence of specific things you did differently than other people, when you know that, there's a little bit of survivor's guilt for everybody who hasn't understood the assignment the same way. There's survivor's guilt for everybody that you try to tell or that you tried to come up with that didn't listen. When you know that, like, okay, you went this way, and things worked out for you, your friends didn't listen to you and they're still stuck where they are, or your family didn't believe in you and now you know they're coming to you. um, And this is not my situation with my direct immediate family not believing, they always believed in me and had my back. But like when other people, when friends and family members who didn't believe in you come and then they wanna hit you up when you was trying to tell them at the beginning and you was trying to move together and they didn't wanna have your back, you feel a little bit of survivor's guilt. And that's something that a lot of content creators feel because you have to understand most successful content creators in this space, most of the successful content creators in this space came from nothing, you know, Um, and since most successful content creators in this space did come from nothing, what happens is a lot of times they get taken advantage of um, by people in their life because they feel survivor's guilt. And you see this, by the way, in mainstream too. You've always seen it with mainstream celebrities. You've seen it um, with uh, probably some of your like favorite stars. You see it with childhood actors and things like that. Childhood actors, their parents take advantage of them. Um, a lot of people, um, you know, it happens. I've known so many female creators that um, have um, outshined their significant others, and then they like their significant others literally do all kinds of shadiness. So I've seen female content creators where significant other cheats on them, divorces them. And so on top of cheating on and betraying them, they also then try to take some of their money. That happens regardless of like gender in some situations, but I think it's like particularly heinous in a lot of situations when it comes to some of my um, colleagues, their female content creators. It's, it's especially heinous when there's like some incentive to cheat in that way, and that it's padded by not supporting your dreams, gaslighting you, making you feel insecure or unworthy, and then compounding it with levels of betrayal. That's that's like that's not particularly harsh. That's 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 pretty messed up. Um, so you know, definitely need to acknowledge that one. Um, but there's a lot. So if you're successful, you have survivor's guilt. You're accused of survivorship bias, being toned up, disconnected, privileged because you make money. You're vulnerable to cancel culture because you need to be held accountable because since you're successful, you're too dangerous to be allowed to say whatever you want and not be checked on every single aspect of it. And we got to make sure that you're perfect. We got to make sure that you're behaving appropriately. We gotta make sure that you're using your power correctly. We cannot have you make mistakes. We can't have you misspeak. Nope. Your words have too much power. You gonna you can't be out here just saying whatever you want and affecting people and hurting people. It's like you have to be put in your place and you have to remember that we'll take away your power if you get it wrong, and we'll take away your income and your livelihood, and you'll have to go back to being an ordinary person because you we can't let someone we disagree with have power. Like, that's what being successful as a content creator looks like. That's what being successful as a content creator looks like. It's, um, it's nerve wracking. It's anxiety, fear of the future, fear of offending uh, people, um, fear of unwarranted, unfair criticism, slander, lies on your name even in the face of overwhelming evidence. You realize how many people just make stuff up and lie to this day. Gary Vaynerchuk has people who lie about him. The guy literally can prove to you that he grew up poor and he grew up broke. And it doesn't make any sense. His name is Gary Vaynerchuk. People keep assuming he's just some rich white guy who was born to privilege and that he's talking down to folks when it's kind of stupid because you can literally just Google him and it's debunked on basic things. The man, his family were Jewish refugees from Belarus, Russia during the Soviet Union and fled communism to America. You don't flee the Soviet Union rich. Let's just get that clear. Anybody can do a history lesson? No, you don't flee the Soviet Union and communism back in the 70s or 80s and come to America rich. So no, he wasn't born rich. He didn't grow up rich. He grew up poor specifically. You want to talk about privilege? How privileged can you be when you literally have to flee your country, stop speaking your language because you're going to be discriminated against in America for being Russian, and that your parents have to change your birth name from what was on your birth certificate and you don't get to speak your native tongue anymore? How privileged can you actually be in that situation? And then you're discriminated against on two fronts. You're Russian, there's no, three fronts. You're Russian, you're not American enough and you're jewish what privilege like so it's it's just so weird that people can make up things and enough people will accept it as truth when it's verifiably or demonstrably false or when it's like kind of obvious that's like no just common sense that's not true and people will triple down so you know you don't even have the truth on your side anymore um it's all really a game of how do people feel about you? How popular can you be? The mental health of uh, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, all of this is a combination of you have uh, body issues in terms of being judged on everything for your appearance. Every time, every time I uh, collab with a female content creator, I have to go through the comments because people comment on their pro- appearance and being inappropriate. Then you have to deal with the sexual harassment part of it. Every time I collab with a female content creator, there's always things in the comments. And some people are being innocent and stuff like that. But there's always some things in the comments and people have to make something that's completely innocent. They have to make it sexual for some reason the minute a female content creator gets involved. And it's, it's ridiculous and it's immature and it's stupid. And it's unreasonable. Um, there's all the reasons to be insecure in the world because you're in a world where everyone's highlight reel is also their profit engine. You have more keeping up with the Joneses than just material things. You have it in sense of um, also career accomplishments, audiences, support, stats, vanity metrics. Um, It feels like this career is designed specifically to be bad for your brain, but I love it. (laughs) <laughs> like i I mean I mean I'm sitting here telling you the negatives because I want to be very real with you there's tremendous positives and there's ways to protect your mental health one of the best ways is to be realistic, have boundaries um and also whoop, just in my seat here um and to also just not make it more than it is and not romanticize it there's so many good things. my community is amazing all of you. You're amazing. You're tremendous. I get so much support. I get support in the comments. I get support for when bad things happen, like uh, my dog passing away. I get support for any rough times I'm having in my life or just having a bad day. A lot of you come through on that. I get tremendous financial support from my community. You all have made me a multiple six-figure entrepreneur. You guys have helped make me a homeowner. You've helped me accomplish some of my wildest dreams beyond belief. And it's something I wouldn't do without being blessed with a great community of support around the content that I show up and make. So I appreciate that you guys made this podcast successful. You guys made this podcast channel monetized. You guys, uh, super chat. We had like record breaking super chats, uh, a week ago. There's so much to be grateful for. So I'm not trying to sit here and talk you out of being a content creator, but I am trying to be realistic to you about here's the downside that no one talks about because it just sounds like, okay, why would anyone bother with this? And that, I'm trying to also make you aware that success is not the cure to all ills success quote unquote, or what success looks like or what you think success is or what you hope success is, is not the magical cure all to everything that ails you. Um, And you should not believe that. So just understand that there's always a price. Like there's always a price, you know, and uh, even to success, or especially to success, to be very real with you, especially to success, there is a price to be paid, um, and nobody really entirely avoids it. Um, you know, even beloved creators, people like Mr. Beast, people like Gary V, people like I Justine. I've seen it all. I've seen um, all of those things. Um, Johnny brought up something here in the chat, Johnny, um, brought up that, um, let's not forget being friends with another YouTube content creator who had baseless claims made against them. The proverbial fallout could affect one's own success. You know, I've seen that. I've also seen that. I've also seen people sell out their friends. And then, um, there is a such thing as, Oh, well, we, uh, the protocol of distancing yourself from the controversy thing maybe supporting people in private in the back end. It happens, and it's this weird, unfortunate thing. Is this weird, unfortunate thing. Happens in a, diff- a couple of different industries as well, uh, but it's always been um, annoying to me because, again, it's just this unreasonable thing. I've seen people harass uh, people's friends, family members, significant others, try to isolate them. What do people think they're doing? What's the consequence? What are you trying to do? You're trying to compel people into the behavior you want them to have without their consent you're trying to compel their words their apology their behavior it's like well that's not a reasonable thing to do and it's not something that mentally healthy people would do so that's like a really bad thing to try to do to try to control people and to isolate them and to impact their life and their relationship especially someone who's a stranger who's in many cases never even interacted with you That is not behavior that would be considered. If if this was happening to people and it was happening um, within the ecosystem of, let's say, a school or workplace, the people participating in that would be reprimanded. They'd be suspended if not expelled. they definitely probably be ridden up or fired on their job. So the things that people do on the Internet in terms of being Internet vigilantes or participating in cancel culture, the truth is that – if they did that and they were doing that in real life, in their career, and they weren't doing that anonymously, they'd be fired from their jobs or, or they'd be um, suspended. Or if they were in school, they'd be fired or suspended. And that's just the truth. So how are we going to rationalize that? Yeah. You know? uh, the sensory strut. Thank you for the $5 super chat. Video is perfect timing. I'm struggling with balancing my mental health and being a creator. One of the most important things you can do for your mental health as a content creator is set boundaries. For one thing, we overshare too much sometimes in social media. Some of it's actually a security risk in terms of your physical security to overshare too much and to make yourself um, physically vulnerable to threats in the real world because there's a lot of unwell people out there. There are stalkers. We've had more people showing up to content creators' homes unannounced, unfortunately, Uh, and even during the pandemic. We had a global pandemic, and people were showing up to famous content creators' houses unannounced, unwelcomed, uninvited, often unvaccinated, often unmasked. How unreasonable and demanding selfies and demanding interaction and demanding... um, you know, some form of a relationship without consent. How unreasonable and ridiculous is that one? So you have to definitely protect yourself from that aspect of it and make sure you're protecting your privacy, um, not making like your travel plans too public or things like that. You have to really be careful about those sort of things. So there's that part of it. Um, And then there's... um, there's other parts of it in terms of setting boundaries of you don't need everyone to know all of your business. Um, And yeah, Tosh is right. Sometimes ego gets in the way, um, but you don't, you don't want to put everything about your life out there. You don't need to put everything about your life out there. And you don't need that in order to have an audience and to have support, but people do overshare people overshare you to be honest. Like, and again, it's important and it's okay to be vulnerable, but here's the truth. Being vulnerable publicly on the Internet does have a real liability to it, and I don't want to glamorize and glorify vulnerability because, again, that would be me virtue signaling. Here's the problem with it. I'll tell you the problem with being too vulnerable on the Internet. Not everybody in the Internet, not every one of those strangers behind a screen has your best interest at heart. And when you're vulnerable and you're exposing your vulnerability, you're exposing the thing that hurts you, you're exposing your kryptonite, your weakness, there are strangers out there that are happy to use it against you because they are jealous or they are petty or they don't like you or they're racist or sexist or whatever else is going on in their head that's not reasonable for them to hate you. There are strangers out there that wish nothing but bad things for you or anyone doing better than them. And when you decide to be too vulnerable, you're enabling them by handing them a real clean shot at your soft white underbelly. It's not the best idea in the world. It's not the best idea of the world. And you have to be careful about who you collaborate with too. You have to be careful about who you collaborate with. You have to be careful about who you go into business with. You have to be careful who you talk to behind the scenes and what you trust them with. You have to think about these things. And it feels isolating and lonely and frustrating and unsatisfying and anxiety inducing. But that is literally all the liabilities and problems that come with building in public, being a public figure, living a public life, which is why it's not cut out for everybody And everybody needs to consider their mental health when doing it. And I'm not trying to talk you out of this. I'm actually trying to talk y'all who want to do this. If you can do this, I'm trying to convince you you can do it. Trying to convince you it's worthwhile. But again, you can't say somebody lied to you and somebody didn't tell you the downside. You can never say after watching this podcast or listening to this podcast or being part of the stream. You can never say that you were promised um, sunshine and roses that um, you were scammed, you can't say that you were promised the world or that um, you were sold snake oil about how great it is without being made painfully aware of the downsides. It's fantastic to be part of the creator economy. It's fantastic to be a full-time creator and to have some level of time, freedom, autonomy, the support of an audience. Um, It's great to know that you have a body of work. It's great to know that you have passive income. All those things are wonderful. But there is a liability, there's risk involved, and there's a price. Nothing comes without cost. Nothing comes without price, even power. Power has a price. All the power and privilege people think that is held by successful content creators is leveraged and weighed against all the things that can hurt you. Most people do not have to risk the level of hurt, pain, embarrassment, and scrutiny in their career if they don't do this. So the thing is, the power dynamics are not disproportionate because the thing is, we take more risk than the average person, and it's not even close. If you are a content creator, you are taking a bigger risk than most people because, yeah, like the thing is, if you risk injury or something like that, if it's not too severe, physical injury, if it's not too severe, you have a chance of recovering. If you don't, also people understand what the damage is. But if you have a reputation-based career and reputation-based business, you may never recover from injury of that. And the thing is, there won't be any sympathy for you. There's no sympathy for successful content creators when things go bad for them, at least not outside of their core fan base of true superfans. And the thing is, people are immediately ready to believe the worst about you, even when it is very easily to disprove. Easy to disprove. People are ready to believe the worst of you. I've seen so many instances of that with people, um, and it's unfortunate. I've seen that with like even beloved creators like Mr. Beast, even beloved creators like I Justine, Marquez Brownlee. I've seen it. I've seen people come at them. I've seen people come after them. I've even seen the media come after Mr. Beast. So there's like it's not enough to say, well, you don't have to worry about anything if you're just a good person or you just do the right thing. That's not true. There are enough things in the real world to where people should have had enough experiences to know that, no, you're not safe just because you're a good person. Nobody should be naive or foolish enough to think that that's true. That's not true in the real world. Um, That's not going to be true in the digital world either. I can tell you. I can tell you, uh, yeah, being innocent doesn't have nothing to do with it. You can be innocent all you want, and it's not a shield. You can be innocent all you want, it's not a shield. You can be a good person all you want, it's not a shield. You can be in the right all you want, it's not a shield. Jeez, I sound overly negative. <laughs> um, but, uh, again, I'm I'm just trying to be very candid. I You know... I'm trying to be candid because um, I think this is important. I think this is important. I think a lot of you need to hear this. Um, And I hope it's not coming across as me being like overly negative or cynical in any way. Um, I'm just trying to make sure that I give you both sides of the story here. And I give you the truth that when you're struggling, if you're successful... Let's say you're a successful content creator. Let's say you're making six figures. Let's say you're making $150,000 a year. And then you um, announce to the world that you're having some mental issues, some mental health issues. You're having um, anxiety. You're having any kind of struggle. You're going to have support from your audience, but you're not going to have support from most people. And most people are going to just say, well, why are you complaining? I wish I had your problems. They'll, when you're successful, your problems will be invalidated by everybody because of relativism. They will compare themselves and say, oh yeah, I wish I had your problems, but they don't have to live with them. So that is literally an easy for you to say. They'll say it's easy for you to say anything because of your power, your privilege, your prestige, your circumstances, your bank account. But they will completely invalidate your humanity, your feelings, your struggles, your hardship, Anything that you're your pain, your pain, they will invalidate any of that and say, Well, at least you have money, as if that is the answer. And these people will then sit there and they will use, Oh, people only care about money as a criticism when they're projecting because they are so quick to dismiss your problems by saying your money should comfort you, then they get mad at people and say that people are only pursuing or care about money. Well, like, all right, if people are only pursuing or only care about money or the money's all that matters to them, like, you shouldn't be complaining because whenever they try to express a pain or an emotion or a feeling that money cannot solve, you tell them that they shouldn't feel bad because they have money. So who is it that's worshiping money? Who is it that's worshiping money? Because as best as I can tell, people who don't have it worship money. People, Money is worshipped by people who don't have it. People who have it learn a painful lesson from Mother Nature and Father Time immediately about what money can't do for them. People who ever are fortunate or blessed enough to get a reasonable amount of money or even an unreasonable amount of money immediately are humbled by Mother Nature and Father Time in some way, shape, or form. It doesn't need anybody else's help. And they immediately learn the limitations of what money can and cannot do for you. The only people who think money is all-powerful are people who don't have it or don't have enough of it. Only people who don't have enough money think that money is all-powerful. They're the only ones worshipping money because I promise you that anyone who's ever acquired a reasonable amount of money or an unreasonable amount of money has had the experience of how Mother Nature and Father Time will immediately show you, will immediately show you what money cannot do for you. And it will show you in the form of some type of pain and some kind of experience that it cannot accommodate. That it cannot accommodate. And I know that the simple answer would be like, okay, well, why should we care what strangers on the internet think about us? We're human beings. We're going to care what people think about us. And if you don't think strangers on the internet can hurt you, I beg to differ. Look at people whose entire careers have been destroyed by mobs of people on the internet. To some extent, it does matter what these people think because they can cause material consequences in your life. And also just remember that some of these people on the internet, you don't know who they are, and sometimes they show up in real life. Just remember I talked about it earlier. Some people on the internet are unwell, and some people are entitled. In the most benign circumstances, it's people who show up um, at people's um, place of business or people's day job. I had, a, I had a female content creator, a friend of mine. She was still working her 9-to-5 job. She had about 500,000 subscribers. She had 500,000 subscribers but still was keeping her day job because it was L.A., because it was L.A., so the money wasn't, you know, so good, like, comparatively. So she wasn't transitioning yet to be... She was on her way to being a full-time content creator. She hadn't left her full daytime job yet. So some dude found out where she worked, Um, was able to somehow, internet detective, piece it together, and he kept showing up at her job because... You know, he had contrived in his head a parasocial relationship where he thought they were friends, without her even really interacting with them online, really like at all. You know, and so why well, care what some of these people on the internet think? Oh, gee, I uh, like I don't know. Like uh, maybe because the the lines between we we can say that it's not the real world, we can say it's not a real place all we want, but it's like. I don't know that that's true anymore as this stuff becomes more integrated into everyday life. As this stuff becomes more integrated into everyday life, when you see Twitter threads scrolling across the view or across CNN, it becomes harder and harder every day to make the argument that Twitter, for example, is not real life. When news articles are reporting on TikTok trends, it's harder to say it's not real—the real world. It's hard to not say it's not the real world. When you have kids being expelled or hospitalized for trends on TikTok, it's harder to say it's not the real world. So why care what people on the internet think? It's because it can have material consequences at this point. Like it's—it's—it's it's, it's like it's material consequences. Um, and it's also things like harassment, bullying, and online hate mobs are just a bad thing. And again, not everyone has the mental wherewithal. Some people are mentally stronger than others. That's a true. Um, and, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's that part of it. Um, somebody's saying, I disagree. I've had mon- enough money all my life and there hasn't been a thing money couldn't help me with, though I guess it's about expectations. You know what? When I lost my grandmother, it's like, hmm, well, that's definitely something money's not a cure for. That's the obvious one. So I'm not dunking on anyone. It's like the obvious one is it's like hmm, money can't bring back the dead. Sometimes there's health issues that enough money can't solve. I mean, again, I started the stream and talked about how unfortunate it was I lost uh, my dog talk, but You know, it's like I thought that money was going to be able to help me make my dog's life happier because my dog had this like massive stomach tuner that was moving around his um, organs. It was he was sometimes crying at night in pain. Um, I wanted to help him. I had the money to help him. I had him get a surgery that I felt was going to like make his life better, and he didn't survive the surgery. Money can't fix everything. Money can't fix everything. There are plenty of problems that money can't solve. You can go to therapy all you want. Money can't erase the trauma of your past. You can go to therapy, you can try and heal. It's like, you know, you can hope that those scars don't become wounds, but you still will have them. They'll still impact you. Money can't fix, money can't change the past. Money can't necessarily always guarantee that you have a future. Money can't guarantee that you'll be able to protect everyone and everything you care about. It certainly helps. It's definitely a tool resource that might provide some measure of that. but it can't do it all. It can't do everything. and the minute you think that it will adds on a long enough timeline on a long enough timeline if you think money can solve every problem that you're ever going to have, Mother Nature and Father Time will conspire to humble you and teach you otherwise. And that's a little dark. and uh, so you know I, that's a little dark I, I somewhat apologize for that because that's a little that's a little much. But it's also the truth. Um, so, yeah, it can it can definitely do important things like uh, JB has a point. Money can let you take time off to grieve when your grandmother dies. It doesn't fix it, but it helps. Yeah, no, nope, it does help. It does help. But, you know, it's. uh, It's a lot. So there's, you know. Yeah, there's there's a lot to consider about, you know, doing this uh, for a living, you know. And you just have to um, set boundaries and be realistic about things. I mean, one of the boundaries you definitely set on like, well, um, just because people support you. Sometimes they're not entitled to access to your energy or your time. There is a such thing as entitlement there and you have to set those boundaries. People are not also entitled to every aspect or the details of your life. A lot of vloggers learn that lesson the hard way. A lot of people overshare, um, oversharing about your relationships, your significant other. That can be a thing. Smart boundaries. You know, Casey's Neistat nice, that set some pretty smart boundaries with not overexposing his children to the internet and letting the audience form some kind of like attachment to, um, Georgie and Franny. Like, there's so there's that's smart. Um. So like, there's things like that. Gary Vaynerchuk doesn't let his children be exposed to his audience either. There's smart boundaries there in terms of not letting your audience form parasocial relationships in your life, and then also. The people in your life didn't necessarily sign on to be internet famous just because you are, if that should happen. If you decide to be internet famous or you are able to be like internet famous, your friends and family didn't necessarily sign on for that. So just be aware of boundaries and protect them too. Um, And also realize that, hey, not everybody should also have access to your audience. Some people take advantage of you for access to your audience. So be aware of that. Um... JB says, um, let's talk about the hours that it takes now that that's the real mental stress. A little more time we have on camera. Oh, yeah, um, definitely. So one of the things that we could definitely talk about is the hours and the toll it takes on you. Twitch streamers really um, have it rough. Yeah, they really have it rough. And um, another thing that we could talk about with regard to like that's Twitch streamers, YouTubers too. I mean, editing versus streaming, you could trade it either way. Um, Another thing is most content creators starting out. Most of you probably even working on nine to five jobs. So you're working eight to 10 hours a day. And then you're trying to do content creation on the side that takes a toll mentally physically emotionally it's draining it's not necessarily healthy for everyone to do that depending on the nature of your work as well or the nature of your content so you can get like exhausted and unmotivated really easily in those type of scenarios um um and even um so darth um darth um shoddy says that um I've been exhausted and unmotivated. I love doing videos, but the editing takes so long. So yeah, um, editing can be a bottleneck, and sometimes I've had that issue. Um, so like for me, again, the thing I love is I love this podcast. I love the podcast more than anything these days. Um, I love streaming. I love the podcast. I love being a podcaster. I love being a streamer, largely because I like, oh, when it's done, it's done. The editing is like out of the way. But I've also learned something about the editing process for me, for my content. The editing process for my content, I've learned that I can simplify some of the editing and that actually helps quite a bit and I feel a lot better about it. I've also realized um, I don't have to over edit my content for all of you to appreciate it and that really helps too. So knowing that I don't have to over edit, over produce my content for it to still get a response, that's been massively helpful to me. The thing that makes videos perform probably the best, besides good, authentic delivery on camera, to be very honest with all of you, is topic, title, and thumbnail. Topic, title, and, t- topic, title, and thumbnail. Because here's the thing about it. I filmed my last three videos. I filmed them all back-to-back, and I edited them all back-to-back. There's no real change in the quality between these three videos. The way that they perform is entirely based on the interest in the topic, the title, and the thumbnail exclusively. That's it. It's topic, title, and thumbnail. So like, you want, you want YouTube videos to perform better? Topic, title, thumbnail, and sometimes timing. Topic, title, thumbnail, timing. Total addressable mark. Like, look, doesn't matter how good you make a video, it's about, well, what's the total addressable market cap for that video? Um, It's about how interested are people in that video. What's the hype around that topic, that thing? Because look look at the biggest YouTubers. There's no video that is made so much better. There's no video that they make so much better than the other one, most of the big YouTubers. The quality is consistent across the board. They're using the same camera, same lighting, same microphone, same editor, same editing style. What's the difference? Topic, title, thumbnail, and timing. That's it. If you look at the biggest YouTubers, the only difference between some of their videos, because it's not their subscriber count, it doesn't matter. Scriber, subscriber count is not just, oh, you're going to have a successful video. Nope. Topic title, thumbnail timing. Topic title, thumbnail timing. That's it. Topic title, thumbnail timing. I mean, you can look at so many niches in YouTube where you're like, Wow, there's not that much editing in there. Oh, that's not that much um, like, you know, effort, quote unquote. But it's like, hmm, But people are really interested in that topic at that time. That's it. Topic title, thumbnail, topic title, thumbnail, timing. That's that topic, title, thumbnail, timing, topic, title, thumbnail, timing. I, I keep saying it because it's like it's the truth. It's packaging. It's packaging more than it is the product. Subscribership might be about the performance on camera, the quality of the experience, the editing, the style, the personality. Yeah, those things, the the quote-unquote quality of the experience, that drives subscriber count, not view count. Not view count. What drives view count is packaging. So that's about the value proposition. That's about the implied value. So, views are driven by value or perceived value. Views are driven by perceived value to the viewer or implied value to the viewer. Subscribers are driven by quality and subscribers are then scaled by proportion of quality to quantity. Money is driven largely by quantity. Not quality, but quantity, and also by frankly just, well, what's the ad rates here? And then scaled that by quantity. So the YouTube, to be very real with you, watch this. Views are driven by value, subs are driven by quality, and money is driven by quantity. I just revealed to you the secret of YouTube, and I'll do it again here. Here's the secret of YouTube. I just revealed the secret of YouTube. The secret of YouTube is that views are driven by value to the viewer. Subscribership is driven by quality of the viewer experience. And money is driven by quantity because ad rates. That's it. If you know those three things, then you understand how YouTube works. Now, your ability to execute properly on those three things is another matter entirely. It's another matter entirely. Um, Learn Spanish Well, says, I know, I know. Um, it's the society we live in, but I can't help but think sometimes, why do I even bother? It seems educational channels have a steep hill to climb. Uh, they, uh, not as much as you think, and not in my opinion. In my opinion, education content is probably the easiest to figure out. Education content has, is the easiest to figure out. It has the most longevity and sustainability, is the least vulnerable to cancel culture. It's the least vulnerable to long breaks. It is the least vulnerable to um, a lack of guaranteed viewership because it has search in its favor um, education content is the most sustainable viable long-term content it's just a cold start but it's actually better than entertainment because entertainment is a matter of taste it can go out of style it could become inappropriate later entertainment is just sprinting by comparison and not in every single case but you can't compare yourself to superficial content Your path to success, if you're the chess team captain and you're the nerd or you're the AV club person or whatever, you can't compare yourself to the jock. You're not playing the same game. So the superficial thing, the way that they earn uh, praise, the way that they earn um, their scholarship, it has nothing to do with you. If you're getting a scholarship on your grades and on those merits, what somebody gets for their athletic ability has nothing to do with you. So it doesn't matter. So you're the one getting yourself discouraged. And you have to take some responsibility for that. And you have to act appropriately. Grass is always greener if you think that way. Yeah, you know, and that's part of another boundary you have to set for yourself is like not playing those comparison games and not playing status games, not playing status games, not virtue signaling, not falling for virtue signaling, not falling for people who try to gaslight you into thinking that you should, you know, uh, change who you are. There's like you, you just need to focus on your goals refine your process and your methods make data-driven decisions um, believe in what you're doing stay the course but be adaptable and not rigid and don't be overly stubborn be adaptable it's about knowing how to pivot not how to just abandon what you're doing or abandon your your value system or what you think is like but you have to be effective too you have to figure out the right balance and boundaries for making the appropriate compromises in the name of your goal and doing what's in the best interest of the viewer, doing what's in the best interest of the project and the content, and still maintaining and respecting your own boundaries with regard to your mental health, physical health, and your emotional well-being. And it's tough. I didn't say it'd be easy, but I am telling you I think it's worth it. It's worth it. It's just that it's not going to be easy. That can be easy. That's, you know, that's how it is. Mm. Mm. Yeah, opinion-based content is definitely very hard. Uh, Education is evergreen. Education, in my opinion, uh, this is a subject for another day, but I'll be real with y'all. All right, so there's three types of content. There's really three types of content on YouTube, and I'm not talking about um, uh, help slash search content, community slash hub content, and then um, hero slash spectacle content. That's not what I'm talking about, by the way. It's not what I'm talking about when I say there's three types of content on YouTube, although I could be. But three types of content on YouTube, the real three types of content on YouTube, entertainment, education, and lifestyle entertainment, education and lifestyle are the three types of content on YouTube. And I think that education and lifestyle are the most profitable and that entertainment is the least profitable outside of the spectacle and scale and outside of the outliers. So the thing is the richest content the richest content creators but the smallest pool of the most rich content creators are all purely entertainment. However, the content creators that have the most sustainable and viable businesses that they could have and be rich and not also famous have built education brands or lifestyle brands. They've built education brands or they built lifestyle brands. Now, if you build a lifestyle brand instead of an entertainment brand, it's more possible. And the thing is, you could hybrid either of those, by the way. You can hybrid education or entertainment with lifestyle instead of just being purely lifestyle. But think about it. If you have a lifestyle brand like um, Rosanna Pensino, you can have your products in Walmart and in Costco and all over the place. And people may not even know who you are, but they can buy your product but you can buy your product and it's not reliant on them being part of your audience. Now, if you're an education based person, you can build up your reputation credentials and outside of your content, you make money public speaking, you make money coaching, you make money selling books, you make money selling courses, you make money licensing courses. You could end up being um, accredited in a way that allows you to transition that expertise into mainstream media as an expert There's You could be offered your own show on Netflix or your own program. You could have royalties from that in perpetuity due to syndication. There's all kinds of upside for that. And the thing is, to do that in education, you'll have less competition in whatever niche you're going for because being an expert is very difficult, and there's a limited amount of time to do it in life um, because you'd have to be focused on something exclusively that might have financial barriers to entry. Skill level barriers to entry and time barriers to entry. So the thing is, you have less competition in education than you do in entertainment. In entertainment, think about it. Think about this: where are the to be if you wanted to be an expert on personal finance or real estate in YouTube or on a podcast, or whatever, you'd literally it's literally almost impossible to do it and be taken seriously if you're extremely young, unless you also are the outlier of oh, you became a millionaire. So you're looking at to be able to talk credibly about personal finance, real estate, investing, all that stuff. You literally have to be a grown adult and beyond college age years for at least 5, 10 or 15 years. And you'd have to be successful on top of that. That's the far minority of people. Where's your competition? Where's your saturation? If you decide to be a YouTube expert and you decide to go into the coding community Well, less than half a percent of all humans on the planet Earth know how to code, and then they may not know how to code in your language, and on top of that, to be on YouTube and do it, you'd have to be a coder, confident on camera, good at video editing, and be charismatic to be successful. Okay, where's your competition? What magical unicorn conjured from the ether is competing with you? Right. So when everyone says, oh, YouTube's saturated, everything's been done. It's like, are you kidding me? No. It's saturated if you're in gaming. <laughs> saturated if you're in gaming. It's saturated if you're in vlogging. You mean things with no barrier to entry. You mean things that have zero upfront potential cost and no barrier to entry to even attempt to do. Things that don't require expertise to do. Things that don't require a lot of lived life experience to do. So narrowing the field to something that is not as easy to duplicate, replicate, or even compete in makes it very viable and financially lucrative to do something because of um, that that narrowness of the field, so to speak, right? So that's, like, really powerful. Um, let's see. Let's take another super chat here. So Learn Spanish World, thank you for the $10 super chat. Um. I'm trying to get from 50K to 100K. I haven't done a face reveal. Would my channel grow quicker if I started appearing on my videos? Look, that's up to you. Face reveals are a boundary that some people set for a reason. If you haven't done a face reveal, you have your reasons for it. Maybe if you want 100K, maybe you set face reveal at 100K as something to get your community to share your content more if they're interested in that. The unfortunate risk there is... People may not be interested in that. And the thing is, if you got to 50K without revealing your face, what makes you think that's necessary to get to another uh, 100K? The most likely way for you to get to 50 for 100K is one. The total addressable market of people who will want to learn about um, the thing that you're teaching is still significantly and pretty high. If you feel like you're stagnating, you need to ask yourself what your best performing content was. And then you also need to ask yourself why you want to get to 100,000 subscribers. Is it just for the silver play button? I could promise you, um, as someone who has the silver play button, as nice as it is, um, it's not going to make you feel less insecure about anything your content makes you feel insecure about. I can tell you that now. Having that, having a big subscriber count, it doesn't make me less insecure about anything. If anything, it adds more pressure to me and adds more imposter syndrome. I'm not discouraging you from getting it. I'm saying it's like you won't finally feel confident when you get that play button. That will last for two weeks. It might last for two weeks, two months. You'll not just feel this overwhelming rush of confidence when you get more subscribers. Um, in fact, I actually feel less confident sometimes because I feel this pressure of I have something to – I have a reputation to risk. I have something to lose. I have something to be embarrassed by or to be embarrassed to, so to speak. So – It's not, um, it's not as, um, it's not as comforting as one might think. And I'm not trying to discourage you from that. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to discourage you from that. I'm trying to say that it's like, what I would do is I'd look at your data. I would look at your data and I would say, all right, I got to 50,000 subscribers, which content got me the most subscribers. If that was your goal, if that was your goal. To be very real, for most of you, if you're in that category, if you're at 50,000 subscribers, you might think your goal should be a silver play button. I would encourage you to say, my goal is I want to double the amount of money that I'm making or I want to go full-time from this. 100,000 subscribers is a nice trophy. It's a nice status symbol. It's nice social proof. It can be leveraged in some ways. I'm not saying it can't. I'm saying for most of you, what's more significant to your life is going to be cash flow, not clout. JB says, um, silver play buttons just made me feel like I wasn't living up to my own reputation. I feared experimenting and losing it all. That button was a curse. It can be because again, it's like, that can be, Um, it can definitely work out that way. Um, It's not a vanity button, play button goal. I want this as a career. You know, you can have YouTube as a career without having 100,000 subscribers, right? If you want YouTube as a career. You don't need 100,000 subscribers. You need to figure out what the significant amount of revenue to make it sustainable is, and I would prioritize revenue. The reality is, like, okay, learn Spanish world. You want you, you want to be a career content creator. Here's what I think you should do. I think you should start doing courses on Skillshare if you want to be a career content creator instead of focusing on getting to 100,000 subscribers because here's what will happen. is If you go on Skillshare right now, uh, the reality is this. Skillshare pays more than YouTube for education content. Every education-based channel should also be doing content on Skillshare. And then they should be promoting Skillshare even if Skillshare doesn't sponsor them. They should get the affiliate money, use the affiliates to send people to their Skillshare um, in their audience for free, ask their audience to please, if they enjoy it, to leave them a review. And a five-star rating. So it bumps you up in the Skillshare algorithm to the people who are already paying. And then on Skillshare, you get paid $0.03 to $0.08 for every minute watched of your content on Skillshare. So if you make one-hour lessons on Skillshare, even one viewer could be worth like a dollar and change, up to $2. One viewer can be worth $2. YouTube, you might have a 1,000 viewers and it's not even going to pay you $2. So Skillshare makes more sense and you could monetize 100 people on Skillshare and make more money than you could from 2,000 viewers on YouTube, and it's not even close. 20,000 viewers on YouTube, and it's not even close. Skillshare pays educators more. Skillshare pays educators more. So if I were you um, learn Spanish world, I would instead of like, oh, I need to get 50,000 more subscribers. No, I would start making one hour lessons um, in Skillshare And now you diversify your revenue platforms. You now are getting affiliate revenue from that and you're getting um, um, royalties from that. Now you're diversified aside from YouTube ad revenue. And now you're financially viable as a creator and um, you have more passive income. Because once the courses are in place, you're not hustling to make more stuff as much as you are just to promote something that pays. Promoting something that is now built and can pay you is a much easier way to make money than to keep hustling and making content. And so now you have a much more viable way to make this a career. Um, the the Brand Deal Starter Kit, link is in the description, by the way, if you want the Brand Deal Starter Kit. The Brand Deal Starter Kit, um, I think uh, I launched that in, like, what was it, November. I think we made six or seven thousand dollars. Um, we did a discount on that at the for December of twenty twenty one. Now we're selling it full price because uh, I'm not going to discount stuff after launch and not by that much anyway. And so, like, I think we did like seven thousand dollars on that. That paid more from one hundred fifty people, one hundred forty people, one hundred forty people, one hundred fifty people in the audience in the community supporting what I do made like Um, $7,000, there's no way a hundred people in the community in terms of ad revenue, I couldn't do that on YouTube. That would have to be like super chats or something, but these people directly bought a product rather than just wanting to donate money. And so there was an exchange of value there. That was really lucrative. It is much easier for me to make a hundred dollars a day by making one to two sales of an existing product than it is to guarantee that I'll get enough views to get a hundred dollars in a day, for example. So that's like, so in terms of being a career content creator the most practical thing is if you have 50,000 YouTube subscribers, uh, I would focus on getting Skillshare content up and diversifying. I'd also look at channel memberships and say, how can I get out of my 50,000 subscribers, how can I get a thousand of them to become true fans will support me and go into the $5 a month tier of YouTube channel memberships. And then from that $5 a month tier of YouTube channel memberships, YouTube be paying you $3.50 for every $5 because they it's a 70-30 split. So you'd be making $3,500 a month if you get a thousand of your true fans to be channel members out of your 50,000. A thousand people at 50,000 is not a huge conversion rate. It's about 2% of the audience. So you only need 2% of your audience you say hey support me in becoming full-time and here are your exclusive perks and it's only five dollars a month so think about five dollars a month that's not a ton of value you got to create you don't have to create a ton of value for five dollars a month all of a sudden that's 3.5k from a thousand people then you do the skillshare thing a bunch of people could sign up for free for that you make some affiliate money but then also you're getting paid from the other people Um, In Skillshare there, and you can end up making a lot of money there, probably more than your YouTube channel from less people. And so then all of a sudden, um, you're a you're a career content creator, probably making six figures from that business model that I just outlined. And that's how that would work. Um, Gaston says, how does one become an educator on YouTube with no experience? Well, the truth is you don't. (laughs) And then would it be wise to do product reviews, niche down, bring value to an audience? Right. So um, the best thing you can do is, yeah, I mean, you can review products you bought with your own money. And then that's a way of, you have experience Then you have experience with the product you bought. There's no value in having an education from somebody with no experience. So you have to create real value for the audience. And you just outlined exactly how you do that. You don't have to be an expert to be an educator. Our parents aren't experts at anything. They're just people who've lived longer than us, right? And they're our first teachers. That's all it is. Uh, Frost says, ideally, I just grow my YouTube so I can convert more people to other platforms that pay more and I just have AdSense as a bonus. That's what I do, homie. Shout out to Frost. Frost has actually helped make um, some of the uh, beats for Zenbuster Buster Music um, as a producer. Uh, this isn't one of Frost uh, beats here, but this is definitely uh, some of the music from uh, Zen Buster, my music channel. Um, in fact, actually, let's play one of uh, Frost beats here in the background. There we go. It's probably the most popular one on the music channel. By the way, if you guys want to support the music channel, you can go to YouTube.com z Z-E-N-B-U-S-T-E-R, and that is my music channel. Um, we've got some copyright-free tunes for you to enjoy, and it's good stuff, help you relax, lessen your anxiety. JT coin ring says, have you ever heard of Intellifluence? I think I've heard of it once or twice. If you wanna let me know in the chat what that is, I'd be grateful. But I think I've heard of it. I think it basically does some data analysis. I am I may be wrong there, but I believe I've heard of it before. But yeah, I think um, in terms of making this uh, a, a career that's viable, And sustainable for your mental health and that can support you financially um i think that a lot of it comes down to just setting boundaries to be honest with you i think setting boundaries and letting um you know people know what your needs are making sure you have a support system in your life like i'll tell you the truth here's how i think you accomplish being more mentally healthy as a content creator if you want to be more healthy as a content creator um have structure in your life have systems to be reliable for you have a support system of some kind and then set healthy boundaries you know and and also set healthy expectations for yourself um about your career and about your lifestyle as a content creator and i think that's probably the best thing you can honestly do and I think that that will make a real difference for your mental health and for your overall well-being. I think that that's um I think that that's probably the best way to go about it to be real with you. JDCon says they offer products for you to review uh, for pay that depends on your niche. Okay, that's interesting. But I think that's gonna uh, be it for um, the stream. If you're in the live audience uh, and not just listening to the audio podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or any of their place podcasts may be found. If you're in the live audience, you'll want to stay tuned. But other than that, if you're in the audio only listening audience, I thank you for tuning in. Please leave us a rating and review. Uh, And remember that if you subscribe to the YouTube channel and if you tune in live, you get to be part of this experience. And what we're gonna do is before we go off the air, I am going to read this super chat. This is a tremendous $100 super chat uh, from Get Business uh, Credit. Uh, so shout out to him. Hey, what's up, man? Been meaning to hit you up on Twitter. Been swamped with interviews with bank CEOs on my channel, but we'll reach out to you soon. Keep up all that you do. Love you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And that is some um, tremendous support there. Um, $100 super chat. That's what having a dedicated Loyal audience um really like can look like you can have some great people and again not everyone can afford to support with their wallets. So the people who do come through like that are absolutely appreciated, and they do make the better experience available to the people who can't support you that way. So everybody wins. Everybody wins. Uh found in Japan says support has been huge. My family is cool with me making videos. Um, but just um but just kind of brush it off. Finding other creators and chatting with them has also been helpful. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you don't have the support directly of your family, I'm very fortunate in the sense that I have had the support of my immediate family. Um, you know, they've been very, uh, supportive of what I do. Um, in fact, I actually work now with a lot of my family and, um, building out other business ventures and kind of moving, um, pieces around with that. And so, there's um, thank you for that, Melly Sinko. Roberto is experienced and honest. Yeah, appreciate you. Um, you know, working with family, I mean, and not working with family is not for everybody. Uh, people have commented on that in Twitter uh, with me about like how um, working with family usually goes sideways. It just depends on your family, it depends on your core values, it depends on um, a lot of variables that people take for granted. But I have a great relationship with my family, and um, working with them actually does make my life better um and it makes things a lot simpler to um, work with my siblings i mean my siblings honestly in in many ways are my best friends so um it's actually very helpful for me to um, be able to work with them and they actually have skills that i don't have so it actually is very practical for me to do that um so yeah the the, the reality is that you have to figure out a way to work, a way to live, and, and something that makes sense for you. And then you just do the best you can. And I think that's a great place to end it for uh, this evening's stream. So thank you for that. If you are in the live viewing YouTube audience, stay tuned. This episode has ended, but your creative journey continues. Visit createsomethingawesometoday.com and access all links and resources mentioned in today's show. All designed to help you create something awesome today.